Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Now, in your bulletin, if you flip it over to the back side, you can follow along. You might want to write some things down with us. We're in a series called I Disciple. And I Disciple is both a noun and a verb. It means um, I am a disciple. It's who I am, but it's also what I do. And our hope in this series is to do three things. Number one is to clarify what it means to be a disciple. Clarify what it means to be a disciple, that we are to be disciples and we are to make disciples. We want to simplify it. What does it mean to be a disciple? Disciple is someone who hears the voice of the Lord and follows. It's that simple. We want you to hear God's voice and follow him wherever he would lead you. And then we want to verify, are we actually disciples? Because Jesus said many will come at at the last day and say, Well, look at all the things we did for you. Look at all the things that we thought were the right things. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't even know who you are because you didn't do what I said to do. And so we want to make sure that we are truly disciples in his eyes. We've looked at some of the signs of a disciple. We're looking at four specific signs that identify disciples. The first one we looked at is is a disciple is someone who surrenders to the lordship of Christ comes under his authority. He's not just my savior. He's not just the one who rescues me. He's my master. He's my leader. He's the authority figure in my life. And then we move to the second one in that we talked about last week to live the word. Because if if Jesus truly is Lord, we'll do what he says. And he says, obey my commands if you love me. And the next step of the discipleship process would be this. It's loving relationships. That if Jesus truly is Lord, we're doing what he says and we'll obey the most basic of all the commands that he's given. In fact, the last night Jesus was with his disciples in in the book of John. You can read about it in chapter 13, but he washes his disciples' feet. And then Jesus says that he's given them a new commandment to love each other. And he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. That's the giveaway sign. It's not what you believe, it's how you live. It's not that what you believe is not important. It's that your belief should result in these actions. Because we oftentimes look at the the mark of spiritual growth is faith. And I have increasing faith. I trust God more and more. And that is a key part of it. But faith always should bear the fruit of love. If you're you're trusting God more, you should become a, a more loving person. In fact, God says it. How can you say you love me? How can you say you follow me when you don't love the people that I made? They're, they're tangible. They're practical. They have needs. Love them by meeting their needs. And so we want to grow in loving relationships. And it starts first by receiving that love, letting it fill us, and, and then it fills us to such a degree that it starts to flow out of our lives into other people. And that's why Paul, he was one of the missionaries, first missionaries, went around to start all kinds of churches. And then he wrote letters that we have in the Bible called the New Testament. And one of those letters is to a church in Philippi. In the first chapter of Philippians, Paul says, this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more. In other words, that your, your love would grow, your love would, would blossom, your love would become broader and broader and broader. And so this love for God that is, that is a vertical, becomes a love that is horizontal. And that's how the, the cross demonstrates both of those. That we love God by loving people. That's what he told us to do. Loving relationships. So here's how you identify a disciple. A disciple is someone who has an expanding heart of love. Heart that just increases and increases with love. And I want to ask you, has your heart gotten bigger? Has you been coming to church following Jesus, seeking him? Has your heart gotten bigger? If it's not, then there's, there's maybe a problem. That maybe you're not connected to Jesus like you should be. Because here's a truth I found in my own life. I find in the lives of believers, those who are truly following Jesus, the closer you get to him, 
the more your heart grows in love for other people. And so that's my prayer for you today. Maybe you're one of those that's at the very start of that in just needing to receive God's love. You need a greater filling of God's love so it can overflow from your life to the lives of others. So let's pray to that end today. Father, would you speak to us today through your word? We want to love people like you do. So Father, speak uh, through your word. Speak through me. Our hearts are prepared. Our hearts are open to hear you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, there are many things we do out of love, but honestly, the love becomes this willpower, this kind of like grind it out. I mean, honestly, do you, do you always say, man, I love changing diapers. I just love changing diapers. I love doing dirty dishes. I just love, every Monday morning you wake up saying, I love to go to work. Now, if you're staff here, yes, that's probably true. But, but, you know, sometimes we don't feel love, right? But you do it because that's what love does. You don't always have the feelings of it, but that's what love does, and so I do it. But that can't always carry you. You need to have this love that enables you to go beyond your own abilities, own strength, own love. And here's what I found true in my life. The closer my walk with the Lord, the greater the love I have for other people. The closer the walk, the bigger the heart. The closer the walk, the bigger the heart closer your walk with the Lord, you will have this gigantic heart of love for other people. And so today, I want to look at those kind of expanding circles of love in our lives, starting kind of at the most basic level and go to the, to the far extremes of where our love should reach. So, so number one, the first circle of love is, is love for family, love for our family. I want to go back, and uh, I skipped over a couple scriptures there that, that really tell us where the source of love comes from. 1 John chapter 4 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So love begins with God. Love begins with him. And then here's what God does. This is really cool. He pours it into us. Listen to Romans 5. Romans 5 verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's like God has this big big barrel of love, and you've got this cup you're holding out, and he starts to pour it in your cup, well, pretty soon that cup just starts spilling over, spilling over. And so uh, we begin to love other people. In fact, later on in that book of Romans, he tells the followers of Jesus that they should have no debt that would remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That debt to show the kind of love God has shown you to other people. So it begins in that very first place with our family with our family. It's the most basic kind of love. It's a reciprocal kind of love. Oftentimes, we love our family. They love us. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says that love needs to be very practical. 1 Timothy 5, 8 tells parents, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you need to take care of your family. You need to provide for them. Of course, that means um, food, it means physical protection, so there's physical needs. But it's even beyond that. There's emotional needs. There's spiritual needs. And it's our job to care for our family. Too often in our culture, we, we look at the government to take care of family, especially the relatives. You know, it's the government's responsibility. They need to take care. And biblically, it's our responsibility to care for your family, your extended family, but particularly the ones in your own house. And the Bible says 
that this isn't even necessarily a sign of being a Christian. It's a sign of being a human. That you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't do that. Because unbelievers do that. Unbelievers care for their families. People that are involved in false religions, they care for their families. People who are in cults, who teach very weird things, they care for their families. My dog cares for his family. You know, animals do that. So we're not, we're not being like super Christians by caring for our family. We're just being good human beings. And yet so oftentimes we see families where, where dads have abandoned the kids. Or dad's just a paycheck, doesn't provide emotionally or spiritually for his family. We find kids who disrespect their parents. I've been in nursing homes where um, there are adults who raise families, and yet those families refuse to come to the nursing home to honor their mother or father. I think that's shameful. You know, they, they spent their lives changing your diapers, feeding you, nursing you, and in their time of need, you abandon them? Well, I don't like going to the nursing home. It's a scary place, and I don't like all the noise. And who cares? I don't think your parents were crazy about the way you were when you were a baby either. But you love them because why? That's my family. So we have to love for family. And especially, I think it begins in the marriage, husbands and wives. We're called by, in Scripture, love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, love your husbands. Be dedicated to them. Be devoted to them. There's an old uh, African-American pastor named E.V. Hill. And when he and his wife were young, they were struggling financially. And one day he came home from a day at the office, and he found that his wife had prepared a beautiful table setting with candlelight. It was just for the two of them. And he thought, wow, this is pretty impressive. This is going to be a very special night for us. So he walks over to the bathroom to wash up his hands, and when he flips the switch, there's, there's no lights. So he goes down the hallway to the bedroom, flips the switch, nothing. He marches out to the kitchen and says, hey, honey, what's going on here? Apparently, there's no electricity. And she said, baby, I know how hard you work. And I know how hard we've tried to to manage everything on on what we get. But I I just wasn't able to pay the electric bill this month. And I didn't want you to notice that the first thing when you came home. So I decided that we would eat by candlelight tonight. You know what Evie Hill says? I'm going to read to you his, his quote. She could have said, I've never been in this situation before. I was reared in the home of Dr. Carruthers and, was, and never had our lights off. She could have broken my spirit. She could have ruined me. She could have demoralized me. But instead she said, somehow or another, we'll get these lights on. But let's eat tonight by candlelight. You know, every family will, sh- will, will share dark times. It could be financially. It could be because of health issues. It could be about parenting issues. You'll face the dark times. And we need family members who do not curse the darkness but who light a candle. Love your family. Love your family. Secondly, love your church family. Love the church family. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Be nice to everybody, but especially to your church family. So we love our families, but we extend that love to this broader group called the church family. Now, in the early church, it was, it was just so vivid in how believers did this because they began to meet together in their homes. They began to share food from their cabinets. They began to open doors to strangers. They were um, selling property to meet people's needs as they had them. I mean, there was such a love as the, the walls came down that separated them. They became this, this huge church family. 
And they loved each other. And I love that about the church. I love the fact that we have extended family here. We love people just like we would our own children. In their early church, that love was so apparent and so countercultural that one of their early church fathers, his name was Tertullian, he wrote in the second century that the unbelievers around noticed this. He noticed how, how they gave, how they prayed, how they supported and buried the poor, how they took care of the destitute and the elderly. And he wrote, It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say how they love one another. I think, I think our church, not speaking of just Pikes Peak Christian Church, I think all churches are in desperate need of being known in our communities as a place of love. Most churches will devise a, a what we believe statement, and you can go on websites and you can find this, here's what we believe about God, about the Holy Spirit, about salvation, all that. And, you know, that, that appeals to a lot of people, but typically those people are church hoppers or people that are transferring from church to church. I know very few unbelievers who walk in the door saying, what's your belief statement here? You know what they're looking for is their signs of love. When they see how you love their children over in the children's area, when they see how you care for people as they walk in, when they see someone sit next to you and you say, here, I'll scoot over for you. Or here, you can take our seats. We'll sit over there. When they see love in a very practical way, it, it, it blows them away because they said, we don't see a lot of that in our culture. We see fighting. We turn on the TV. There's debating and arguing. We get all that. We don't come to church to hear that. We're just starving for love. And I know when I was a young man, that's, that's what, what struck me. I grew up in a little Methodist church. To honestly, I don't even know what their belief statement was at the time. But here's what I did know. There were some older couples. There was couples like the Schraders and the Hiltons and, and several older couples who loved us as young people. And they attended our events. And they ate our pancakes for fundraisers. And they sponsored us on our trips. And they, and they listened to the music that we liked. And they loved us and embraced us. And you know what? They became sort of like aunts and uncles, moms and dads to so many of us who came from homes where there wasn't a lot of love. The church became an extended family of love. And I love it in the church where when you walk in the door, there are people who are ready to grab a hold of you and hug you. Or you come into a meeting you know, when the elders meet or the staff meets or our small group meets, people are willing to embrace one another. It's like a family reunion. It's an awesome experience. And if you have never experienced that, I want you to know, you know, this is a, this is a pretty big church, but there, are, but there are a lot of people in this church that want to get to know you. And honestly, the more you get to know them, the more that love will be shared with one another. You know, I love that our church family will go and they'll make meals for people when they're sick. They'll visit them when they're hospital visit them when they're in the hospital. They will help them move when they're packing up to, to take their families to another location. They will pray. I see that on Facebook all the time. I'm praying for you. Today, after the last service, there's a group of men who've been invited to pray over a young man who's going to basic training. And the dad says, will you come and surround my son and pray for him? Why? Because this is my family. In fact, I doubt if he's going to get his biological family to gather around and do it, but he wants his church family to do that. Um, Love your church family. Get to know them. That's a significant relationship within our lives. A third circle of love is love for the hurting and the helpless. The church, I think, is known worldwide for this. Whenever there's a crisis, um, a famine, a hurricane, an earthquake, you know, when there's medical needs, when there's starvation going on, when there's need for water, clean water, um, when, when there's a need for some medical attention for special surgeries and all this, quite often it's the, it's the church 
through Christian ministries that responds. There, there are groups like Samaritan's Purse and Compassion International and the Springs Rescue Mission and, and all these that offer compassion to those that are hurting and those that are helpless. And Jesus said this would be a sign of those who would, would follow me because in Matthew chapter 25, he tells this credible parable about, about these sheep and goats and how people come to the Lord and they, they share what they've done. And Jesus, who is the king in the story, says this. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. People who found themselves in hard times, People who've made some bad decisions got themselves into a predicament. I mean, you look at people who, who end up in prison, made some bad choices. But he says, don't neglect them. Don't disregard them. Look at the people. In fact, if we go to the book of James, James chapter 1, James describes in, in another way of people that are in a helpless, needy situation. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What's common about those widows and orphans and those in the hospital and those in prison and those that are hungry and those that are naked and thirsty? What's common? Well, they're at a point of weakness. They're at a point where they have little voice or little power to change their situation. And yet we come in with the love of Christ and we help them through that time of their life. I love the fact that as a church, we offer things like grief share, celebrate recovery, divorce recovery, healing journey. We offer classes to help people through these crises within their life to, to show compassion to those in need. And I look at individuals in our church and what they're doing in this regard, and it's so amazing when you hear those stories. I look at a man, and many of you know a, a man in our church named Todd Musgrave, and Todd's a burly guy, walks around with sunglasses in church because of an, an eye deficiency he has. And yet Todd has a very tender heart toward orphans. He leads our ministry to Ninos de Baja, um, which takes an annual trip down to Mexico to work at an orphanage. And every year when those, those teams take the trip, and I know because I went on one of these trips, when you get down to Mexico, the highlight of that mission trip is not the structure they help build. It's not the little restaurant they help support. The highlight every year of every team that goes down to the, the, the Mexico orphanage is the time they spent with the little children. And they will just love the time they can go out in the grass and play with them and talk to them and hold the little babies. And they come back filled because they got to express love to someone in need of love. Because those little children are brought to this orphanage from broken families, sometimes abusive situations, and they get to be loved there with Christ-like kind of love. And I look at Todd. Here's this big burly guy, and every year he gets real misty-eyed when he's down among those kids. And I discovered why. In 1958, as a little baby, he was dropped off at an orphanage. And when he was four months old, a couple came and says, we want that one. He wants to take all those babies home when he goes down to Mexico. I, I guess when, when you've been loved, you just can't help but want to love others. When you've been healed, you just can't help but want to help others experience healing. When someone served you, you want to pass it on to someone else. That's the way love works. I, I look at uh, another man, and I know he's here in this service, Kelly Barlow. And I watched Kelly and his wife, Tammy. And by the way, Tammy's joining our staff as our front office manager. We're real excited about that. And uh, Kelly, yeah, we can celebrate that. Katie Hurley's been serving there. She's getting married in a couple weeks and going to be moving to Denver. And Tammy's going to 
move right in that position. But when I got to meet that couple, Tammy and, and Kelly, uh, they would sit in the back of the church, and they weren't even married yet. And they, they told me, he didn't tell me I could say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, uh, <laughs> that, that sometimes they came to church hungover. And then they found Jesus, gave their lives to the Lord, and God began to heal up their marriage, their relationships, their family. And I remember Kelly just saying, you know, I don't know how I can serve God. I don't know how God can use my past because he had a, a past where he was involved in some criminal activity and was a rowdy boy and rebel. And, and uh, God put him in a place to where he began to minister down in Pueblo at the YOS facility, youth offender system. He began to go down there on a weekly basis. And then when the leader left this church and, and went up north, he said, Kelly, I'm passing you the baton. You're in charge now. Kelly thought, I, I don't know how to do this. But he humbled himself, sought the Lord, and began offering a Bible study called Iron Man. And uh, over the course of the last about 10 years, there have been hundreds of boys whose lives have been touched. Dozens have been baptized as a result of their ministry. One boy's name is Dylan. And Dylan began coming to Iron Man. Um, they baptized Dylan. Dylan quickly wanted to share his testimony, learn to play guitar. He just developed this great hunger for the Lord. Since coming out of the YOS facility, this young man, Dylan, has sought the Lord. He wants to grow in his faith. Uh, he wants to be a pastor now. In fact, what's so cool is, is every so often, he lives up on, uh, in Thornton, um, every so often he drops into church. In fact, you'll probably see him in the foyer after this service because he's coming here today. And uh, it's all because someone cared for a young man who was in prison. And his life was changed. God uses us to love the hurting and the helpless, to rescue them from their dilemma. Another group that God wants us to expand in our love is loving the enemies. Love for enemies. Listen to Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's easy to love people that like you. That's your family. It's easy to love people that are like you. It's kind of like your church family. You know what's hard is to love people that are not like you and some who don't even like you. It takes a special kind of love. It takes a God-like kind of love. In fact, Jesus was saying in this Sermon on the Mount... You know, if you love the people that, that like you and if you love the people that are like you, well, everybody does that. It's, it's love for the enemies that sets you apart. It's love for people that are difficult to love. And yet the Bible says that God loves us even while we were still his enemies. Jesus had some enemies. Maybe his biggest enemies were this group of people called the Pharisees. And yet Jesus never stooped down to treat them like they were treating him. You know, that's a temptation, if someone steps on your toe, you want to stomp on their foot, right? You're not going to treat me like that. You're not going to, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. We retaliate. There was an incident, it's kind of funny, uh, an incident about a professional football player for the San Francisco 49ers who sent out a tweet on his workout. And here's what he said. This just happened last month. 1,000 abs, arm workout, 10 minutes straight on the jump rope, two-hour study session in February. Now, that's what I call a recovery day. You kind of boast about his big workout. So some, some sarcastic reader sent a reply, your ab workout won't help you find the open receiver. <laughs> he couldn't let it go. So here's what the quarterback sent back. Everybody read this. You got eight followers, bro. Your own family don't even want to know what you're doing. Get better at life. And people said, really? You're this multi-million dollar 
quarterback who's known in commercials and all this all over TV, and you're paying attention to this little guy down here who's criticizing you? Couldn't you just let it go? See, we'll have people that won't like us and people that will say bad things about us. But you know what? When I look at Jesus' ministry and look at what he did, did, Jesus never stooped down to their level. In fact, Jesus said to do this. Someone hits you on a cheek, turn the other cheek. Someone takes your shirt, tell them you'll give them their coat as well. If they say, walk a mile, you say, it's a good day for two. Don't treat them like they treat. Treat them better than they treat you. You know, when, when Abraham Lincoln was in office, he was pretty soft on his enemies. He got a lot of critics, but Abraham Lincoln was pretty soft. He didn't go in the media and zing them. A lot of our politicians do that today. Abraham Lincoln didn't do that. And people were frustrated with him, saying, you should just stomp your competition. You're the president. You know what he said? You know how you, you, know how you eliminate your enemies? You make them your friends. In fact, he hired uh, as one of his key advisors one of his greatest enemies. Make him your friend. Make him your friend. I remember years ago, there was a pastor here in town, and, and I know some people have mixed feelings about this guy, but back when Ted Haggard was pastor of New Life Church, that church was really growing and booming, and, and some people looked at that church and said, now that church is weird, that church is different, that church is all about money and all this kind of stuff. And there was a little church in town that publicly... Um, vilified New Life Church. There's a pastor of this church who'd stand before his people and he would condemn New Life Church. And then that little church went through a financially very difficult season. And you know who showed up at his door with the check to help that church out? Pastor Haggard from New Life Church. Said, we heard about your struggle. Want to help you out. God bless you. Never again did that pastor criticize New Life Church. You want to turn an enemy into a friend? Love them. Love them. That's what Jesus did. And, and I'm concerned because many times in our church culture today, people look at the church and say, oh, you guys are just fighters. You're not lovers, you're fighters. You fight against the abortion doctors. You fight against the Democrats. You fight against the environmentalists. You fight against you know, the, the gays and lesbians. You're always fighting against people. We're not known for love oftentimes. And yet there, there is a way to hold on to morality and justice and the truth you believe in and yet love people? I mean, Jesus did it. Jesus loved the people who were deep in sin. Jesus loved the tax collectors and the prostitutes. In fact, he loved them so much that he got criticized for being their friend. Wouldn't that be a, a new day? That we're known for being the friend of people that aren't like us, the people who disagree with the church, people who are anti-church, because we love them like Christ did. Love your enemies. And then finally, the biggest circle of love is love for the lost. John three sixteen. You all know this verse? It's the guy with the rainbow afro at the football game holding that up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved what? The world. That's big love, isn't it? The world, every person within the world. He loved them, even when they were rebels, when they were opposed to him, when they never thought of him. God loved them. When they rejected him, spit in his face, he still loved them. This love was for lost people. Jesus said, for this reason I came, to seek and save that which was lost. 
He even told three parables once, back to back to back, about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son, and how uh, God was represented by the the woman in the house, and the shepherd, and the father in the story, and how they searched for that which was lost, and longed for it. When the lost was found, they celebrated, because that's what mattered, that the lost are found. And I, I think in churches, oftentimes, we get in this unnecessary debate, and who is the church for? Is the church for those that are inside, or for those who are on the outside? Sometimes people on the inside say, well, we're the one that pay the bills. We're the ones that serve in the ministry. We're the ones that show up faithfully. It needs to be catered to us, catered to what we like, catered to what we want. We're the, kind of, we're the club members. And yet at the same time, if we're to be on mission, if we're to have the same passion for lost people that Christ has, then we have to be mindful of the people outside who need to come in. And so then we say, well, then we better change some things about what we're doing because it turns off people on the outside who are coming in or it's too offensive to them or it's too strong for them. And so we're caught in this dilemma. How do we make a church service, for example, that meets the needs of the people that are already in? It appeals to the people who are on the outside coming in. And that's a dance or a tension we're dealing with all the time. How do we do both? Both are critical. It's not an either or. In fact, I would say if you had to emphasize one a little bit more than the other, I would emphasize reaching the lost more. Because here's what I found. Churches that look inwardly, who say as long as we take care of the needs of those inside, the church will grow, it doesn't work. The church eventually dies. It loses its lifeblood. It's almost as if God removes his blessing upon them because they get very protectionist. They start to they watch out. They see the outside as the, as the enemy, the ones to keep away rather than to invite in. And we want to keep that, those doors open to the church. We want people to know, you're welcome here. That's why Easter Sunday is so significant to us. We want the community to know, you're welcome here. We, we don't want to offend you unnecessarily. We want to make you feel comfortable. We want your kids to feel safe when they're here. We want you to be welcome when you come in the door so, so you know that we were expecting you. God loves lost people. My old pastor, Roy Lawson, said that the church is the only organization created for those not yet a part of it. It's almost as if we are the ones on a boat and we're throwing the lifeline out to those that need to be rescued and we pull them in. And you know what happens when you're busy reaching out to people, when you're, when you're invested in praying for lost people, when, when you spend time sharing your faith with people that don't know Jesus, when you're spending a lot of time up in that baptistry baptizing your friends, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter to you, you know, some of the little things in church really doesn't matter to you. You say, you know, I can put up with that as long as we're saving people. As long as we're reaching people for Christ, I can put up with a lot of different things. That's our desire. I love the heart of the Apostle Paul. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. And why was Paul so committed to that? Why, why was Paul... Um, so big-hearted. We see this in in Romans chapter 9. This just amazes me. This man who used to hate the church, he now says this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. In other words, God, if if, if, if me going to hell meant they were saved, then I would do it. I would do it for my own people. I want so badly for them to know you like I know you. 
And what, what drove Paul? What, what propelled Paul to go and plant churches all across the Asia Minor among, amongst a lot of opposition, times where he was stoned almost to the point of death, um, shipwrecked in a boat trying to reach another place? What, what drove Paul? Well, we find in that same letter of first Corinth, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians in the 5th chapter. A couple of verses I want to read out of this chapter that tell us Paul's heart. He says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. That word fear is reverence. Out of great reverence for God, out of respect for him, and awe of God, we want to persuade others. And then he goes down in a few verses later, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. The more we are convinced of God's love, the more we are convicted to extend it to others. The more you recognize the fact that God loves you so much, you realize I can't keep it to myself. I can't hold it to myself. God wants us to share love with increasing volume to people, not only with our household, to our church family, to those that are hurting, to those that oppose Christ, even to those that are lost. He wants us to save their lives. You know, last fall I saw a story on 60 Minutes. I followed up on the story a little bit to learn more about it, but there's a man named Nicholas Winton. He's 105 years old now, but back when he was 29 years old, and as the Nazis were invaded Czechoslovakia, he was fearful of the plight of the people. And so he made a, a, a vacation trip to Prague. And he set up a little shop. He had no government authority to do this. He had no power to do this. And yet he claimed to work for the British Committee for Refugees. Through persuasion and even some bribes, he convinced the Germans to allow him to shuttle children away from Czechoslovakia to Britain. Now these kids thought they were going on vacation. But he knew the likelihood it would be those children would never see their mom and dad again. Two years later, 90,000 Czechoslovakian Jews boarded one-way trains to Auschwitz. And yet, this man was responsible for rescuing 669 children. And you know what's so amazing? Is nobody knew this story until almost 50 years after it occurred. His wife was shuffling through some things in his attic came across a scrapbook. Scrapbook that had pictures of young children, stories of their background, and then a, this listing of 600 plus names. And she asked her, her husband, what is this? And he began to tell her the story of what he had done. He never knew what happened to those kids. Those kids never knew who the person was that rescued them. Until the BBC got a hold of this story, and brought the two together in an event. And this, you'll get to see on this short little video, the moment he gets to meet some of those children he helped rescue. So watch this. All the letters. But back here is the list of all the children this is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. <laughs> and it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching.
there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? This humble man was interviewed by Bob Simon of 60 Minutes last year. He said, why did you go to Prague? Why, why did you do that? You didn't know anybody there? They were all strangers to you? You had no stake in it? Why did you do that? And he said this, I just wanted to save some people. And you could see the expression on his face as he looked around. He saw all the faces they have added up the, the children of those survivors and their grandchildren and have estimated there's more than 6,000 people alive today that owe their lives to Nicholas Winton. Some of you are going to have the humble thrill one day of being in heaven and turning around. There's going to be someone coming up to you that says, you taught my class when I was in third grade. You told me all about Jesus. You visited me when I was in the prison, the YOS facility. You, you talked to me about Jesus when I came in for food to your church. There are going to be people that we're going to be like those sheep who says, I didn't even know I did that. Because all I want to do is just save some people. You want to save some people? You want to have the ultimate thrill of being used by God to lead someone into a life-saving relationship with Jesus? You can do that. You can do that this month. You can do that this Easter just offer yourself to him. Allow God to fill your heart with his love and let it spill over with love for those whom he loves. You know, it's been said that people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, sometimes if you're like me, you find your heart getting hard. Problem is this, I'm not hanging around God a lot because the more you get close to God, the bigger your heart gets. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up front right now. Just go ahead, wherever you are, prayer partners, just come up so people can see your faces because we're going to have a prayer time here today. I mentioned at the beginning of the service that we want to invite you. We're here really to love on you today. And maybe you're a person that at the very beginning of your spiritual journey says, I don't know this God who loves me so much, yet I want to know him. We want to help introduce you to him. We want to speak to you. We want to pray over you. We're here for you. Some of you maybe have realized my heart's gotten cold for other people and I don't like it. I don't like what I'm turning into. God, tenderize my heart. And maybe that's what you want to come up today to do. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Pastor Matt's going to lead us as we sing. We're just going to invite you to come. Let us serve you as we pray. Let the love of God wash over you as the Holy Spirit pours his love into your heart. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.